Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman. On this episode, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, myself, are going to break down Scotty Lewis's decision to return to Florida for his sophomore season. Um, we will take a host of listener questions related to that decision uh, and some other listener questions about rotations, expectations for the incoming freshmen, things of that nature ahead of next year. We'll also tease our uh, upcoming podcast episodes where we break down the 2006 and 2007 NCAA championship game. So hope you guys enjoy the show. Hope everybody is staying healthy, staying home, staying safe, and uh, just uh, enjoy the program. Thanks. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and I are going to break down the Final Four. Um, no, <laughs> we're not going to break down the Final Four. Uh, sorry, I'm still like super bitter, Eric, that we didn't get the NCAA tournament. But we did get um, some news today uh, as we record on Monday night. Uh, Scotty Lewis announces via Instagram that he will uh, be returning to school for his sophomore season. Your initial thoughts on uh, Scotty's decision. Uh, hey, well, I mean, you can take your victory lap uh, when I swing <laughs> it back to you, but, uh, but I, I, I am surprised because I was uh, someone who thought he'd be gone. So, uh, so I'm definitely surprised uh, just because I was wrong there. And uh, uh, the other thing too, is I'm a little bit surprised by the timing. I, I mean, I would have expected, uh, even if he was to return to Florida, I probably would have expected in uh, uh, in a couple weeks. Maybe he, uh, you see an announcement uh, that he's going to go test the waters, and then you know a couple weeks after that, maybe that would be the time where he would announce he's coming back to Florida. So, uh, so even the fact that it, it came out like it did, like uh, the day uh, uh, the championship weekend, what what should have been. Uh, for him to to announce there that he's that he's coming back, uh, I, I'm pretty surprised by the timing. But at the same time, it's uh, uh, it, it's very cool because uh, one, it definitely shows his commitment to the Gators and that he does want to be back and uh, and doing his best and uh, and sp- spending one more year in Gainesville. But also, uh, it's really cool because like uh, it was a national story today in college basketball, which I know the bar for for what constitutes that is not particularly high. But uh, one thing that's been kind of sad is like national writers have not been writing much about Florida over the last couple of years. Uh, Florida has not been in the, the spotlight. Like uh, you'd like to see them or, or maybe you'd expect based on uh, uh, some recent history. And we saw it a little bit when Kerry Blackshear uh, committed, but, uh, but you know, today it was Gary Parrish was writing about Scotty Lewis, making a, a, a really good decision to come back in, in his mind and uh, some other national writers as well. And I was just thinking, you know, as I read that, I was like, I don't remember the last time that Gary Parrish, one of, you know, the, the biggest writers out there when he's been talking about Florida basketball. So, uh, so to see that just all the national writers talking about uh, how this was a really positive kind of step for Florida, I thought it was uh, really good for that reason too. So uh, yeah, those are, those are all my thoughts from today. Those are good takes. Um, and, and I would echo a lot of that, uh, especially about just getting some, some spotlight on the Gators. That's, that's positive. You know, you had the Brian Hamilton story about the uh, returning sophomores, largely about the returning sophomores in Blackshear um, in the athletic, 
before the season started. And then, you know, after that, it felt like with some justice, a lot of the story was, uh, what about, about how Florida was underachieving or, or Florida wasn't very good or Florida was one of the big disappointments. So, you know, this certainly gets things in the other direction. My, my thought on it too, is that, uh, I, I was with, I think in a standard year, um, the timing of it would have been very unusual and it would have been really consistent with somebody that's going pro, which uh, we saw with Ashton Hagens, you know, the more traditional, the earlier, the less good news it is for the school. Um, here, something we talked about on previous podcast, Eric, where, you know, the lack of workouts, would it help a guy like Scotty Lewis? Would it hurt a guy like Scotty Lewis? Um, we don't know how interviews are going to work. We assume that interviews are, would still, will still be a big part of the draft process, maybe even bigger than usual, but those are things that Lewis can ace. Uh, but, but how do workouts work? Um, is the draft even going to be in June? Uh, <laughs> how do you select the draft order when you don't know what's going to happen with the regular, you know what I mean? Like there's so many different intangibles. And I think that uncertainty favors guys like Lewis who, you know, and I want to make this distinction, Eric. I think it favors guys like Lewis who have a big chance to improve stock, right? Whereas it might not favor a guy who is – if he come, if you take a player that's going to come back and they're probably still a second-round pick or, you know, a free agent contract guy no matter what, then there's probably no real big difference for them. But for a guy like Lewis, I think – all upside. And, and that's what I'll share with listeners is what, when I dig some, did some digging, uh, cause, cause I don't know how, how warranted a victory lap is other than to say that when I did some digging before our last show and talked to some people, um, that, that, you know, know Scotty, one of the big things with, with Scotty's decision process was, you know, would he make a roster? Or would it be about the G League? And and if if there was a risk that it was a G League situation, Scotty likes school. Uh, he likes going to class. He likes his friends. He likes being in college. And I think in the end, the uncertainty plus sort of that probably broke the tie. Yeah. So uh, something just uh, so I'll be covering the draft again for uh, for NBA Canada as well as NBA Japan and NBA Australia and all the uh, Spanish speaking properties. So uh, there you go. But uh, uh, what? So nice. I'm looking at today, and uh, so the plan is that uh, like uh, what they just have laid out is that each team will get like up to two hours a week of uh, of interviews over like using using Skype or, or Zoom or anything like that. Uh, so it would have been interesting to see what, uh, what Lewis could do. But one thing that I thought was really interesting is that they're not allowed to watch live film. So you couldn't like spin the laptop to an open gym and have a player go through <laughs> drills or something like that. So it would have been a lot of face to face. And I mean, like, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, that Lewis could have done well for himself there, but it is kind of interesting just to know like, huh. uh, what, uh, uh, how that would go. Cause you'd say like, Hey, if, if, you don't have other people kind of doing these drills uh, and it's just uh, these kind of interviews. Well, you know that Scotty's going to do awesome in those interviews. Uh, but at the same time, uh, if all you have is 
game film and you can't, you don't have an opportunity to, uh, to go through these individual workouts with teams. It's like, well, there's going to be some holes in Scotty Lewis's film. Uh, but it's also like, Hey, like, let's, uh, let's go find out what Lewis's max vert is or what his, uh, what his lane agility is kind of those measurables. The see at the combine or at individual workouts, like, uh, he, I, I, I would assume he would do quite well at those. So it, it really is tough to say for sure. What, uh, uh, what kind of the impact w- kind of would be if he would stay in the draft. Uh, but uh, I'm not going to try to say verbatim what he said in that, that stadium piece with Jeff Goodman, but uh, he kind of referred to um, directly as well as kind of insinuated that this to him was the safe choice to come back to Florida. And, and I do think there's, there's something, you know, something to that. There's the, the safe choice of like, Hey, we don't know what the NBA season is going to look like next year. Uh, we don't know when this NBA draft is going to happen. Uh, we need a, uh, there needs to be a draft lottery to know when the draft's going to happen and to have a yeah. draft lottery. You need to say that the season's done and we don't, so there is just a lot of uncertainty and you know what, it hasn't been talked about yet. And I don't know if I really want to get there, but um, there might get to be a point where there's some uncertainty with college basketball too. But, uh, but at the moment it's looking like that's going to be the, uh, the, the safer option for, for Lewis. And uh, I, I did think that was just kind of interesting wording. And, and, and if you haven't seen it, he did a, he did a piece with, uh, yeah, with Jeff Goodman at Stadium where uh, there's some more kind of great quotes. And uh, it was just interesting that he he kind of, yeah, referred to staying at Florida was uh, kind of being the safe choice. And uh, hopefully it's one that he uh, that does make him a lot of money because, I mean, um, I would say uh, if you were to stay in the draft this year or go to the draft, I should say, uh, he's probably looking at uh, a non-guaranteed money getting drafted in the middle of the second round. Uh, if he can get into the first round and get guaranteed money, I mean, that's going to be uh, that's millions of dollars uh, with, uh, on a rookie deal that he made himself by coming back and becoming a first round pick. So there is uh, definitely like if he can go from being the 45th pick to even the, the 25th pick, uh, that's millions of dollars more. He just made himself. So there is uh, there's definitely chances for him uh, to really uh, uh, up his status financially as well as just kind of the. Uh, uh, you know, it's one thing to enter the league as a late second. It's another thing to be a first round pick. And I, I think he wants to get in the league uh, with that, uh, that right foot forward as, as something like a first round pick or, you know, even a high first round pick. Yeah, that was an interesting part. I'm glad you brought up the Gary Parish piece too. This was the section I thought was interesting and, and wanted to show our readers if they haven't seen it. Uh, so Parrish writes, uh, the best is yet to come. Lewis tweeted Monday for what it's worth. I'd Gary Parish being eyed there. Bet on that being true. Coaches often say the biggest room for improvement is between a person's freshman and sophomore season. That's why it's reasonable to assume Lewis will look more like he's supposed to look this season. He was supposed to look this season than next season. Yes, the six foot five guard averaged only 8.5 points per game while shot, shooting just 44% from the field. But it should be noted, and this is a point Eric and I brought up a lot on the show, he averaged 13 points and shot 56% from the field in the Gators' final four games, a stretch that included a 19-point effort against Kentucky. Translation, Lewis was playing better when Florida's season and everybody's season abruptly ended because of the coronavirus pandemic that's ravaged the country. Um, Eric, your, your thoughts on that section? I, I mean, I, I you know, I, I do. I think, I think when Lewis goes and, and starts – to get to work on what he needs to to get better at next season. He's got a good foundation and a little bit of momentum based on how he was playing at the end of this season. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, another thing, too, I, I know, I, I think you said that in that Gary Parrish article that he talked about the last four games, uh, yeah. Jake Winderman tweet, tweeted something out that I thought was really interesting. He had, I think it was the last 12 games. So, you know, most of the SEC season. And it was, uh, you know, Lewis was shooting 49% in the last 12, uh, from three in the last, uh, yeah, uh, or 48% in the last 12 games. And, and uh, you know, his told field goal percentage was like 10 points better. And uh, and it was like, yeah, that's a, you know, that's a significant chunk of the, uh, the SEC season. So there definitely was, uh, there definitely was an upward trajectory there. And uh, I do think that there was, for him, I, I definitely a, just a lot of adjustment going throughout the year, just about what he could, get away with offensively especially uh just like uh, getting the timing down of uh of how things work and how things move on the floor and and figuring out when he could attack a closeout or uh when he should take a dribble realize nothing is there and, and get the ball moving and uh it did uh it did seem like he was getting it more the end of the year well and the numbers definitely show it so uh, yeah, I mean, I was someone who was, you know, hard on Lewis at times, but uh, there's no denying that he at least got better. And that's something that, uh, uh, you've, that that's super admirable. And I think when you look towards, uh, you know, a player coming back from a freshman to a sophomore year, uh, that's pretty huge. And uh, I was going to ask you, Neil, have you looked at Bart Torvik's website anytime in the last, uh, the last couple of weeks? No, I haven't. Be so, so before... Uh, this is something so Bart Torvik is just an awesome website. Like the more and more yeah, I, it's really I go weird. on it, the more I just realize it's like actually like I like it, I, I'm not gonna say it's better than any of the other predictive tools, but there's so much customization and so much fun stuff you can do that none of the other predictive metrics sites do. Um but anyways, he has projections already up, which which Ken Palm won't have projections up for a very long time. Um and uh so Bart Torvik does projections and not only does he do like team projections. Uh, but he also does individual player projections, which is obviously totally different. And he even has, uh, he has algorithms for incoming top 50 recruits as well as Juco recruits. So you can see what he has for Osifo and for Sensev. Uh, but anyways, Neil, would you like to guess at what he had Florida as before Scotty Lewis um, announced he was coming back? Uh, do you know, do you want to make a guess at what he had Florida as yeah, going into next season? Not in the top 25. He had them eighth, which wow. is very surprising. Uh, would you like to guess now that Scotty Lewis is back in the equation? Now, would you like to guess where he has Florida? Fifth. He has them sixth. So that's it. That's okay. a pretty significant jump because I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, especially because you know, I I was someone who kind of pointed out that Florida's numbers with him on and off the floor aren't great. Um, but it's uh, it's something that I mean, you just add in that he's someone who is uh, obviously a SEC level starter uh, who you're getting back, who you probably thought you were going to lose. So, um, so this, there's a, you know, a lot there. One, Bart Torvik thinks Florida is going to be a top 10 team next year, um, which I know this is like, so, so this is also, he still has Keontae Johnson returning. I should have actually given that, that caveat as well. He has Keontae Johnson. So before, um, before Lewis announced, he actually had Scotty Lewis leaving, but he had Keontae Johnson and Andrew Nimhart coming back so currently they're sixth with um with everyone returning um but anyways it's uh yeah it kind of just shows what impact um his projections which uh, uh you know i didn't really look at last year so i don't know what kind of uh i don't know what kind of uh accuracy these these have had historically but uh he has lewis getting up to uh 10 points per game four rebounds and, and one assist which i know are not like the you know the sexiest numbers the hugest numbers but uh but yeah we know that he's someone who uh doesn't necessarily need to uh 
put up big numbers to be effective. And um, I, I, once again, I, I think for him, a lot of the game is going to be efficiency as well. Like if he's, uh, if he gets 10 points per game or 11 points per game and he's shooting high thirties from three and around 50% from two, uh, you won't need him to put up uh, a ton of other numbers. So uh, yeah, but I, I would say any, anyone who is, uh, who's bored and wants to uh, start looking at some college basketball stuff for next year, uh, go to Bart Torvik's site and start playing around because it's wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely do some of that. <laughs> um, by the way, now I get to, Instead of a victory lap, I'm just going to just tout my Iguodala comp. So here is the Iguodala jump from freshman year to sophomore year at Arizona. And by the way, <laughs> that was the end for, uh, for, for Andre. He was off to the NBA. But So in his sophomore season, Eric, his field goal percentage went from 38 to 45%. Uh, now keep in mind, people did not shoot the three as well in that era. Um, early 2000s. His three-point percentage went from 20.5 as a freshman, 9 of 44, to 31.5. Okay, a little better. 23 of 73. His free throw percentage, which Lewis is already a very good free throw shooter, but Iguodala's went up 11 percentage points. Uh, his steal numbers were the same. His block numbers were about the same. But his defensive zone rating went up 7 points. And his overall rebounding went up almost four a game. And really interesting one for me, Eric, is assist. He went from 66 assists and 49 turnovers as a freshman to 147 assists against 63 turnovers as a sophomore. Um, and, I, you know, Scotty did have some issues with turning the ball over a little bit. Like that kind of jump, because we saw on film that Lewis is a capable passer um, pretty consistently. It's just about decision-making sometimes. Like, I think a similar leap is possible because I, I I know that I'm going to get some hell, and Eric's more of an NBA expert than me. I won't lie, but I still really feel confident about my comparison between those two players. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, one, one thing I thought was kind of funny, so so Sam Vecini, who I just love, he tweeted about Scotty Lewis today, and uh, in the replies to his tweet, someone had, like, a comparison that I just had never thought of. Uh, for Lewis that I actually think is like, like I do really like your comparison and you've got the numbers to really back it up. But I think this might be my new second favorite or tie for favorite comparison for him. And that's Avery Bradley. And okay. uh, I thought, which, which I really like because I, so I definitely, I, I certainly understand the Iguodala one, but the one thing that I just like, I just find a little bit different is I just think like Iguodala is just so strong and just has a frame that's so much more physically developed than, than Lewis. And Lewis was a freshman. So like, let's not, uh, you know, judge his frame and think it's going to be this forever. Uh, But I look at Avery Bradley, who's someone who uh, played that role of a three and D guy, but was always kind of more of that wiry, uh, you know, he's someone who could guard threes, but a lot was kind of guarding twos a lot more. And I think that might be what Scotty Lewis uh, is I, I just don't know if he's going to get to the point of being like an Igudala uh, kind of guy who can really take a lot of the bigger threes. Like, like it's just tough for me to ever imagine Scotty Lewis being an NBA three who has to guard a Paul George or something. like I just see some of those guys as just so much bigger. But, uh, but I so, I so anyways, I went to go look at Avery Bradley's stats, and again, he was someone who was uh, he was one and done at Texas, so I can't uh, can't look at the leap like you were mentioning. Uh, but uh, as a freshman, he had eleven points, six points. Uh, three rebounds, two assists, and he shot 37.5% from three. And I think that that would be like, 
some really good numbers for for Lewis to to kind of go for. I, I mean, I you don't want him to be you know. Uh, someone just focused on hitting a particular stat line, but that's something that I could kind of see from him being like, yeah, being 11 points, being three rebounds, a couple assists and just shooting the ball really efficiently. So uh, yeah, I just, I don't think he's ever going to be someone to, to really fill it up. And, and also quite frankly, like if, if Florida is going to be uh, a, a good to really good team next year, uh, I think it's probably going to require you know, Trey Mann to start shouldering more of the offensive load for, uh, for Tyree Appleby to come in and score. Uh, it will, you know, Andrew Nebhardt or Keontae Johnson, we don't know for sure, but if one or both of those guys are returns, uh, they're going to have a big kind of offensive load. And I just don't think that Scotty Lewis is going to be someone who you, you need to go get 15 or 16 or 17 all the time. Uh, but yeah, I, I will be interested by the, uh, the leap and we'll, we'll see if, um, we'll see if the Iguodala trajectory continues. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and and it could be off, and and you know, there are certainly some differences that that Eric's pointed out, but it's just interesting that that that's a player that, you know, I think he compares to that that made a a nice jump, and um, yeah, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, certainly, good news for Florida, and I want to shift to that side of it now. Um, uh, a lot of people were rightfully very excited. I think quite a few people were. We're pretty surprised, Eric concluded. Um, and so I wanted to do some listener questions on that. And then I know on the back end, uh, Eric's got some some listener questions that we, we really want to get to. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll do a shout for the uh, crazy bracket that we've got going on. Uh, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of silliness going down on that front. Uh, if you're not following our greatest Gator player of all time Twitter tournament at Florida BB hour. Uh, make sure to check that out. So um, Drew Helmich, we'll just start with him. Uh, lots of players, not enough minutes. I'm not complaining about death, but there's going to be a couple guys that might feel shafted. It's another problem. Uh, it'll be a challenge for the staff. I don't see how many minutes for Glover, Darugi, definitely not many for the freshmen unless 10 to 15 minutes per game was expected for Daruji and Appleby. Uh, I'll start. I, I think that Daruji's going to play a lot more than 10 to 15 minutes. But otherwise, I, I agree with Drew's point that uh, Lewis's return and the potential return of at least Andrew Nimhart does create challenges in terms of, of minutes, Eric, but also sets Florida up to be one of the deepest teams that, that Mike White's had, if not the deepest yeah, I mean, Druji, I think, is someone who's going to, to get on the floor a, a lot. Like, he's not someone who I think might kind of fall back in the shuffle. Like, uh, to me, it's like, like I mean, I'm I'm high on this player, but uh, I think like Trey Mann, I mean, he's going to have to pick it up pretty quickly if uh, if he's going to get ahead of, like, let's assume that Nemard's back for the sake of this conversation. Uh, I, I mean, he's going to have to find a way to prove that he's more valuable at the position than someone who's a knockdown shooter like Noah Locke or... Uh, someone who's kind of a scoring guard in, in Tyree Appleby, who's done for a longer time in college. Like, like he's someone who I could see kind of falling back or, or Quez Glover, uh, him trying to get on the floor. I mean, that could be tough, but so I, that's where I kind of see like those two guys as, as players who might have a tough time kind of seeing the floor. But yeah, Druji's not someone that I really see in the, in the log jam, but uh, uh, Hey, who knows? And the other thing about like, who knows is like, you know, I really thought this team was going to be super, super, super deep. Uh, and then injuries came. I also thought the team 
a year prior was going to be really, really deep. And then, you know, Keith Stone gets injured and Dante Bassett gets injured and uh, DeAndre Ballard doesn't take the step. Uh, Isaiah Stokes wasn't ever able to play. Uh, uh, So it's just kind of interesting. Like this will be the third year in a row where I'm going to go in thinking that Florida is going to have really good depth. And this is definitely another level. Uh, But uh, it's just, it's just interesting that like, it's not all depth. Isn't always what you, what you think it is. And you're always an injury or two away from, from not being super deep. So uh, I, I just kind of, after these last two seasons, I'm like, man, I'll, I'll wait until I get a couple weeks into the season before I really talk about a team's depth. But yeah, on paper, this is, uh, it's looking like it could be an extremely deep group. Yes. Uh, it really is. It, it's, it's, I, I, you know, Eric and, uh, our buddy Malik, we, we were talk- talking about potential lineups with, with the assumption that Andrew Nimhard returns, uh, but not yet including Keontae Johnson. We'll get to that in a second. And, I mean, even with Nimhard, like, projecting to play 30 minutes a game at point guard, it does. It creates challenges for man because, you know, president of the to stand for Appleby – uh, organization Eric Fawcett knows that he's going to play, and and so uh, what do you do with Noah Locke? Who just led the SEC in three point shooting. Um, what do you do with with a Trey Man? Is, is he the backup point guard? What does that mean for Quest Glover? Uh, Scotty Lewis probably not going to play any guard because you've got all these guards. So Scotty's going to play the three uh, as just sort of classic wing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're not going to get Anthony DeRuji off the floor. Uh, you know, and another guy I think it really affects is probably Osayo Sifu, just because I'm not sure that that with Lewis returning, the way that Florida's rotations will work out will really allow for him to, to have much floor time. Yeah, and then another guy that I was thinking was Samson Rusensev, who I'm really high on and think that yeah, he's a contributor, but – yeah, and uh, but yeah, like obviously, if you pencil Scotty Lewis in for thirty minutes at the three, uh, there's there's an opportunity for probably one of those guys to get a role, uh, to get a role with ten minutes behind him. But obviously, that's not a huge role, and th- that'll be tough for both Lane and Rusen Seven. Uh, let's say that uh, let's say that uh, Keontae Johnson is is back for the sake of this argument. Uh, I mean, maybe you get you want to get him at ten minutes at the small forward and and, and go bigger and 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 get get Deruji and Keontae Johnson out next to each other uh, with Omar Payne at the five and go really athletic and, and long. Uh, yeah, so it's it's tough to see if uh, if kind of everyone does return. It's tough to see Osifo finding a big role. It's it's tough to imagine Lena Rusensev getting a getting a lot of minutes as a as a freshman. But hey, like it also wouldn't be a bad thing for Florida to not be super reliant on freshmen for once, even though, uh, even though I like the freshmen and uh, yeah, but it's, it is definitely exciting when you look at all these, uh, all these possible combinations because uh, yeah, it's, it's been uh, like something I was thinking about, like, is like, you know, ever since, you know, Canyon Barry, there hasn't really been a, like a six man to get like yeah. really, really excited for. And uh, kind of the same thing. Like when, you know, even when Igbunu was healthy, uh, when Kavarius Hayes came in the game, I I felt good about that. There's there just hasn't been the same um, excitement about some of the subs entering. But uh, I mean, if, if a bunch of these guys are back, uh, I'm going to be very excited for some of these guys coming off the bench. So I'm going to integrate two listener questions into one. Um, Sarah in Tampa, uh, after he came back, uh, made the announcement. 
shoots me an email and just says, hey, whenever you guys do a pod, could you please uh, explain more in detail what you mean by Scotty Lewis can improve defensively? Uh, great question, by the way. And uh, Lucas Stolengowski kind of comments on that, says something I noticed. Lewis would gamble and cheat a little bit defensively because he knew his length and athleticism could bail him out. Can definitely get better with positional guarding. Eric? Yeah, I've got a question for Sarah and Tapa, actually. I, I was actually wondering where she heard about the show and, and why she's not on Twitter because really, we really need Sarah on, Sarah from Tampa on Twitter. Yeah, I've been recruiting Getting her. these takes off to the match. But I was actually just thinking, I was like, I, I, so, many, so many of our friends uh, listen to the show are we know from Twitter. So I was like, I wonder where, where, when Sarah from Tampa even learned about the podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's a great point about uh, – from Lucas about uh, about how much he, he does gamble. It's something we've talked about on the podcast. Uh, I really think he can get a lot better just containing the basketball off the dribble, uh, and that's something that I think when you look at him as an athletic six foot five with long arms perimeter defender, he needs to be someone who can keep the ball out of the paint. He needs yeah. to be someone who uh, can keep his feet in front of the guy that he's guarding and just uh, stop dribble penetration. And uh, that's something that I uh, yeah that we just didn't see enough from him, I would say. Uh, so that's something I, I think he needs to get better at. And then, uh, so, you know, positionally, I, he definitely had some, some really good moments as a, as a help defender. But again, a lot of his moments as a help defender were maybe him reacting a little bit late and, and having the leaping ability and, and length yeah. getting to some, some balls where, like, uh, like again, a really good example. Uh, did not think I'd be using this guy as model defensive uh, uh expectation here but i mean trey Mann, he was someone at the end of the season who was uh, had some really really good help defending moments because he rotated over and had his feet in the right spot and, and took some charges and i'm not saying that scotty lewis needs to be someone who can come and take charges but he does need to be someone as a help defender who can react earlier and meet the ball further from the hoop yeah no i i would agree with that i like i think the distinction i use when i coach and maybe it's just my soccer background but like, I think there's a distinction between help defense and emergency defense. And and what I mean by that is exactly what Eric – like, help defense oftentimes is a situation where you can still get a stop within a possession. And emergency defense is your team defense is broken down and you just kind of use your athleticism to make a play. And Lewis is better at the latter than the former, in, in my view. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I uh, I'm here for your your soccer terminology making its way, <laughs> uh, because yeah, I just think like uh, he definitely had some exciting defensive highlights, and and there's definitely a time and place for that. And I love seeing him LeBron chase down block a guy, uh, but there's times in the half court where he just needs to be a little bit of a a safer defender who's content with uh, keeping his man in front of him and and forcing the ball to uh, where Florida wants it on the floor uh, instead of just times where he was just like. Uh, jabbing at the ball, jabbing at the ball, jabbing at the ball, and then uh, occasionally getting beat by guys who, based on athleticism alone, would not have been able to beat him off the bounce. But because he was uh, gambling for a steal, he reached and, and gave them an opportunity that, uh, yeah, obviously some of these SEC guards were, were going to take advantage of. Absolutely. Uh, Robert Ash, good question here, um, says, you guys do a great job, thanks, Robert, of talking about roster scenarios on the last pod, but didn't talk about if all three, Nimhard Johnson and Lewis, return. Can you guys hit on that tonight as well? Well, uh, let's start with, first of all, I guess. Uh, you know, and Eric may be a little better connected to the Canada basketball scene. Um, we don't do a ton of speculation on this show. I still, from what I've 
from what little I've gleaned, I, my my thinking is that Nimhard will, will also return. I, I but I don't want to say anything on this show about Keontae Johnson because I have no idea what he's what he's thinking. I have no idea what's going on in that process. I have no sources that have talked to Keontae Johnson. Um, you know, so all I know is him and his family are going to make the best decision for him. Uh, but but I do think Florida will get Andrew Nimhard back. At least, like, if he had to make a decision tonight, I think it would probably be to return. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, uh, I, I'm with you totally with uh, with Keontae Johnson. And the the way I see it for for Johnson is just like he doesn't have a bad choice to make here because uh, I really think if he goes uh, goes to the NBA right now, he's going to have plenty of great opportunities. And uh, I think if he goes back to school, he'll still could have great opportunities next summer. So uh, it's, yeah, it makes it a tough decision for, for them just uh, because I, I just don't think there's uh, there's a bad scenario for them. Uh, and I do think that Nemhart's going to be back just like you mentioned. And uh, we'll, we'll see. And he's someone who I think could do well in, in interviews as well, but he's someone that I, I really think for him to get a, a team just like really excited about him would need to be in a gym with like, like you always see, um, when teams kind of bring in players for workouts, it's usually like six or seven or eight of them. And oftentimes it's players in a similar position group. And I really think it would be like, what would be best for Nemhart would be like him next to six or seven other point guards. And teams can start to say like, wow, like he made that read that six other guys didn't, or he made that right. pass a lot crisper than every other guard. And I think like that's, uh, that's kind of the way things will go and be like, well, you know, we know he's not the fastest. He might be one of the slower out of this group, uh, but he's getting a defender on his hip and getting an advantage situation and making a read. Like those are the kind of things that I think he would really need to, to just like ensure that he has uh, the best opportunity next year. So yeah, I do think that the way things are shaking out here uh, does not benefit his pro prospects. So I do think he'd be back. And I think we kind of yeah laid out the roster scenario. If people do come back, um, it's just going to be an insanely deep roster with uh, with multiple opportunities for different starting lineups. And uh, depending on who starts, there's either you're going to have shooting off the bench in the backcourt, you're going to have playmaking in, coming off the bench in the backcourt. Uh, in the frontcourt, you're going to have athleticism coming off or coming off the bench. Like no matter how it who ends up starting, and uh, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And I think that this team would be uh, just really fantastic if everyone came back. Yeah, it really would. And and our next question from uh, UF Gunner AJ, we, we always want to like Arsenal fans. It's such a sad life. And so like anytime we can pick up their spirits, we do so. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, AJ, that was not. <laughs> Are we thinking KJ leaves or returns? If Keontae returns, does that mean Lewis at the three, KJ at the four, Daruji coming off the bench? And with Rusensev and Lane coming in, what types of minutes do you envision for them, given Lewis, Mann, and Locke are all coming back, plus Appleby is eligible? We've gotten into this a little bit, and that's a really great question in the way that it is broken down in sequences. So thank you for that, AJ. Um, my thought, Eric, is yes, that's exactly what it would mean, is that Lewis starts, Johnson starts, and Daruji comes off the bench as either the sixth or seventh man. Um, but... I'm interested in Eric's take on this because, you know, Florida's essentially adding an all-conference player from Conference USA. Not essentially, they are. So, it, you know, I don't know. I don't think Scotty Lewis is returning to school to come off the bench, but it really does complicate matters. Yeah, I, I do think that they, they started that way. Um, 
My just concern, and I, I know guys are going to get better, but if you do start, you know, the, the same, essentially the same starting lineup, you start Nemhart, you start Locke, uh, Lewis, uh, and then uh, uh, Johnson, and then, like, let's just say Payne, uh, you can insert any center you want for the sake of this conversation. Uh, but again, like I, I still don't think that that's enough kind of guys who can create off the dribble. I, I would just, yep. I, I still want more ball handlers. And I, so that's kind of still why I think that Appleby is someone I really want out there. Um, yep. And like, like, honestly, I do think the best five is, would honestly be Andrew Nemhart, Tyree Appleby, Noah Locke, Keontae Johnson, and uh, uh, Omar Payne, we'll say. Uh, so I don't think that it has Scotty Lewis in, in the starting five, but I don't think that things are going to be seen that way. And I, I do think he ends up starting. Um, I'll also say too, like, I'm not super concerned with who starts. Like, I know this is like super corny and cheesy. It's like, not a start <laughs> to two finishes, but like, I, I, again, like people know that I'm really into analytics who listen to the podcast. Uh, that means that the first five minutes of the game are no more important than the second five minute chunk or the third five minute chunk, uh, so on and so forth. Like, uh, basketball is not about your starters winning the first five minutes before a sub's made. It's uh, it's going to be like, hey, can Florida just keep wearing teams down in waves with that kind of depth if they have it? Um, so I'm not super concerned with who starts. But, uh, yeah, I just think that we saw at times this season where Florida just didn't have enough creators on the perimeter. They didn't have uh, an, enough ball handlers. And if you just run it back again with uh, – uh, kind of the same one to four that started last year. I think that you're going to get in scenarios where uh, you get kind of stagnated against some of the good defensive teams. Yeah. And I, and, and I think, you know, I think the league's going to be better next year too. So uh, they'll need some of that creation, you know, like the cool thing is Florida should be, is already immediately better than they thought they would be, I think today, but you know, that's necessary, I think, because the league's going to be better. None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. Um, the next question is from Kyle McGill, uh, who asked, just a moment, if all three return, will UF play faster? Or is White not likely to play fast? I want to say there was a good tweet by Chris Harry about this today, um, which was that, you kind of have a cerebral don't play at pace point guard. Now I know I think Andrew can play. I don't want to bottle and box him into that. You know, I think he can play a little faster, but I kind of box quote, I box quoted the, the Chris Harry tweet and just noted that also the, the best three point shooter in the sec is not a great transition three point shooter, right? He's better off set plays. So uh, I'm not certain that, that Florida will play much faster. The difference being that I doubt that Omar Payne or Jason Jatobo is kind of the command touches fulcrum of the offense big that, that Kerry Blackshear was at time. So maybe that opens up, you know, space for Florida to have some, some more fast possessions, but it's an interesting question. And, and I'm sure everybody wants Eric's take on it. Not mine. Uh, well, I actually have an article coming on this. So it's kind of interesting yes. to see that, uh, that people were talking about it. Um, but, uh, you know, like I'm someone who's kind of gone to bat for Andrew Nemhard and I've defended him in a lot of situations. Um, I, I'm going to defend him again. And I'm going to point out that when you look at good transition teams, and I'll have numbers on this in the article, 
um, to, to just put it solely on the hands of your, your point guard, your ball handler of how fast the team plays. Uh, I just don't think that that's accurate. And I know a lot of people will look at, uh, and again, he was a great point guard in transition, but a lot of people look at, at, uh, at Chris Chioza as being such a good uh, transition point guard. And then presumably Andrew Nemhart is not as much. And that's why you've seen tempo uh, kind of really drop. Uh, when you look at good transition teams, when you look at Florida being a better transition team under Chris Chioza, it wasn't just Chioza. It was all his wings were better in transition. And like that's something that I think is just so lost for the people that just are really getting after Nemhart for Florida's lack of transition play is like you need guys to run with you and you need wings who can finish. And uh, again, when Florida was out there with Scotty Lewis and, and Noah Locke at the two and three and Andrew Nemhart has the ball on the break, he doesn't have transition players playing, running with him. And uh, he, something I will, uh, uh, I, I will spoil. That is a very interesting stat uh, that uh, I, I just think is too good not to share here, but I hope you read the article when it's out. Um, Andrew Nemhart, when you factor in um, all of his transition possessions, so not just like, uh, or like uh, his transition uh, derived offense, which is like the shots he takes as well as the shots um, off one of his passes he was in the 98th percentile in college basketball last year. So he was one of the best transition point guards uh, in the country, especially uh, then a lot of the guys at the top of the list are, are low major guys. So if you look at high majors, he was one of the best transition point guards in the country last year, which I know is going to shock a lot of people um, because a lot of people think he was incapable of playing in transition. Uh, but efficiency wise, he was incredible. And uh, nice. I, 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 I just going to continue to ride with like, when you saw what he did with team Canada in the summer, when you saw what he did in transition, um, I just think that he, Andrew Nemhart is someone who would be in a much better position, honestly, if, if Florida played fast. And I, I know uh, in the half court, he's someone who's, who's played with a lot more pace and, uh, or sorry, a lot more like poise, someone who slowed it down a little bit more. That's also just been kind of Florida's offense. But uh, so again, I, I just think like generally speaking, like people who want to put the pace on the shoulders of Andrew Nemhart, uh, that's just not, I, I just don't think that's totally fair. But to go back to the original question, I, I do think Florida is going to play faster. I, I think it's something that when you have yeah. more experienced players, uh, they're going to be able to play in transition more effectively. So, uh, and I mean, it's also probably a, uh, again, I'll, I'll point out these numbers in the article, but Florida, they really played like they had so few possessions in, in transition this year uh, relative to most teams in basketball that it would just be a safe bet to say that they're going to play more in transition just because their number was so few this year, it would be hard for them to match that or, or go below that. So, uh, yeah, I do expect them to play faster. Yeah, and you know what? Another interesting thought on that is that teams that were pretty wing-heavy – um, not you know, and it's not not entirely. The, there are there are wing heavy teams that play at a more deliberate tempo, but it's certainly something that suits that style of play. Traditionally, the, one of the things that that is true about having a, a lot of wings is that you can kind of attack the the basket on the bounce a little bit more. Um, you know, speaking in sweeping generalizations, but Florida State. Uh, it's a team that you would consider pretty wing heavy. Gonzaga this season, uh, Memphis, uh, all three teams that ranked in the in the top sixty in Kim Palm tempo. Uh, I don't think Florida would ever get up that high, but just a little little idea that you know, because you look at Florida's roster with Lewis back and potentially with Johnson back, and and it's you know Florida has kind of eliminated a concern that Eric and I have, 
And with Samson Resensev coming in, Nas Lane coming in, suddenly you have a lot of wings on your roster, um, which is which is interesting. The next question from Davis Johnson is about wings. Um, and he asks, do you think Resensev will contribute more next season than Scotty did this season? Certainly Resensev is more polished offensively and is stronger. Uh Obviously, Lewis coming back kind of makes this a little bit tougher just because yeah. uh, I now think that Rusensev is going to be in the like 10 to 15 minute range. Uh, but I will say, like, I, I definitely would think that if you gave them a similar uh, similar number of minutes, I think Rusensev would be a more productive player as a freshman. Uh, and so, I mean, this might be something we have to look at as more of a points per possession basis because I just don't think he's going to get the same minutes as Lewis, but uh, I think his ability, I think he's, yeah, I just think the fact that he's so much more polished uh, and, and especially like, like we did see that, you know, Lewis was able to shoot the ball pretty well at the end of the season. Uh, so maybe that's, if that's the level that Rusensev shoots at for most of the year, um, obviously he might be a little bit better, but I, I just think he's just so much more comfortable. Rusensev is uh, bouncing the ball and making plays off the dribble. And that's just something that I think that Lewis uh, struggled with. And I think for that reason, he's going to be a, a more productive player. But uh, yeah, it'll be a little bit tough to say if he ends up getting like 12 minutes per game or less or slightly more. But uh, uh, yeah, I just I do think he's coming into college a lot more polished offensively, which is uh, going to make for more productive numbers. All right. And we're going to do uh, Eric's listener questions as we're out of, of mine. Yeah. So these these are uh, these are deep in my uh Twitter inbox. It's been a long time since we've had a had a pod. So so uh, this first one is actually this was before you did your bracket meal. Uh, nice. So, <laughs> but uh, it says, would an all star team of Gators uh, beat the 2007 team? So uh, I think, which is like funny because when you first like think about it, it's like, oh, of course. But when you actually start to think about it and you look at like <laughs> you start to think about matchups, it, it becomes a little bit tougher. So I, I'm just gonna see. Uh, what do you think, Neil? Man, that is a good question. Uh, trying to decide. So, okay, I'll give you five. I'll give you a five that that would have a good chance. All right, and maybe we can debate that. Uh, so, give me. I'm gonna get so much crap for this. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Give me Casey Hill. There's a reason <laughs> for this. <laughs> Give me. <laughs> I'm building a team, baby. Give me Casey Hill. Give me Eddie Shannon. Give me Udonis Haslam, Brad Beal, and Mike Miller. All right, yeah, I, I love that you led with the point guard pick there. That'll just have people people <laughs> crypt for sure. But yeah, why why is uh. I know you made that up pretty quickly, but what is uh, what is your kind of thought process around that, uh, and how do you see uh, how do you see a game uh, between the uh, the OC or the the two thousand seven and uh, and that team shaking out? So I've got two point guards. First of all, <laughs> I've got Shannon and Hill. Shannon can handle the ball in the half court offense, and Casey is mostly just there to harass Lee Humphrey. All right, because I what I what I have to do is eliminate Lee Humphrey. Um. And I know that sounds crazy and wild, but I trust Mike Miller against Corey Brewer. And I trust Brad Beal against whatever matchup he's got, right? Is he going to 
If I've got Brad Beal sort of playing, if I'm playing with three guards and I've got Brad Beal kind of as like the floating two, like who are they going to put on Beal? If they put Brewer on Beal, then it's Mike Miller versus Al Horford. All right? And yeah, like defensively, that's not ideal, but you know, you're still going to make a lot of demands on them to guard. And I've got Udonis Haslam banging with Joe Kim at the five, or vice versa. Udonis banging with Horford and Joe Kim out on Miller. You know, I mean, Joe Kim can do it, but um, so for me, it's just like matchups. And I know I've got the best defensive guard in the game in Hill. And I've got Eddie Shannon, who's every bit as good a point guard as Torian Green in the half court. So I don't know. I don't know if that team wins. And, and I think that five I just presented is so good that it kind of demonstrates Eric's point. Well, let's say I remove Eddie Shannon and add like Chandler Parsons. So then my five is Hill, Beal, Parsons, Miller, Haslam. Like, does that team match up better than the first one I picked? Maybe, right? Because they're bigger. So they don't get dominated on the glass, I guess. <laughs> yeah, trying to tr- yeah, trying to compete with that front court is just such a daunting task when like those two years right. are like the best like I mean if you t- if you took the bent like the the third and fourth bigs off the the two championship teams like those are like, start put those on any Gator team that came afterwards and uh, they're going to be like some of the best players like uh, just yeah. the f- handling the front court is such an issue uh, I, I mean, the one thing I do think you could probably maybe get, like, if we're like imagining this as a one-game scenario, uh, is you could probably get the the O seven team with shooting. Like, I know that they have Lee Humphrey, but didn't have a lot of great shooting around it. So, like, I was thinking, like, I would get like Dorian Finney-Smith out there. Like, I, I was thinking about maybe doing Dorian Finney-Smith, Chandler Parsons as my three four, hoping for some shooting there. Uh, I know you said Casey Hill. I would take the this maybe the uh, the softer pick of. Uh, of Scotty Wilbekin, just because you know he was on everyone's kind of second favorite team, and just yeah. just could knock down the three. But right. uh, yeah, I think I think if you're going to build a team that would beat the 07 team, I, I think you're probably looking at a team that can shoot threes a lot better and uh, and hope for the best. Uh, but uh, uh, the next question uh, is, who is the better passer, Chris Chioza or Andrew Nemhart? Oh gosh, man. I also don't have people's names because I I forgot them. I I wrote them down and I was like, oh, I remember these. And then this was like Uh, three weeks ago. So (laughs) I'm sorry if you asked that question. I did so so good. No, they're just different. They're different guards, right? Like, um, I guess because we haven't, because I know Eric just got done talking about how Andrew Nimhart is very capable in transition. Uh, Like, I feel like, Chris Chioza would just make some devastating, like eye-opening passes on the break. So maybe I can cop out and say like he's better at that. But certainly, I, I like Nimhard better in the half court. You know what should be pointed out is that like if you look at Chioza's assisted turnover ratio growth from like freshman year to senior year, um, you know it, it's damaging to the. Mike White doesn't develop players hive if you think coaches develop players. Um, and or it's just a testament to like Chios' ability to, to get better. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I, I think you could go either of those answers. I, because of his half-court passing, I, I do think that Nemhard's a better 
passer. I yeah. just see like some, it's like, like Chioza had some of those no look passes, but I think that like the like spoon fed buckets to Kavarius Hayes and, and carry Blackshear over these last two years. Like there were just so many plays where they just had uncontested dunks because of the pass. And, and there was definitely some moments like that, but Chioza was a lot of like uh, make the tough skip pass uh, over top of a defense to a, to a three point shooter on the opposite wing. And uh, it, which was definitely like, you know, great passes, difficult passes, but uh, it just wasn't the like, uh, just like the easiest, easiest buckets handed to, to kind of like big men. I think that Nemhard does that so well, uh, but I mean, I, you could, you could give either of those and I think it'd be a great answer. Um, someone says how much, uh, how much defense will be sacrificed with Appleby? Uh, I'm concerned about an Appleby Nemhart backcourt, as well as an Appleby Man backcourt, as well as an Appleby Lock uh, backcourt. So, uh, anyways, I how much uh, how much do you see Appleby's kind of defense a concern? And uh, yeah, what do you what do you think about that, Neil? I don't know enough about Appleby. I should, but it's because you're an Appleby expert, I've been deferring to you for all Appleby <laughs> knowledge. What I'll say on the Nemhart and Lock thing is that. I think I kind of converted Eric to the like idea that Noah Locke is at least a competent defender, um, particularly an on-ball defender. He's probably above average and then maybe below average as a transition defender. So it all kind of balances out to a competent defender. And Andrew Nimhart is a good defender. Um, and I'll take that to my grave. Uh, <laughs> he's... I think statistically was Florida's second best defender, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's good at defense. Yeah, I agree with that. And and one thing I'll say that maybe last year was a little bit of an interesting sample on this was that it appears that uh, with Florida's defensive scheme, it's it's a lot of the way that they kind of contain pick and rolls and kind of the play of their uh, the play of their front court that's really going to set the tone of what they do defensively. So. Uh, I think that, you know, if you have app, if you play, you know, let's say you have Nemhart at the point and playing next to uh, smaller wings with uh, Appleby and Locke, uh, it just, you know, Florida got away with playing these kind of smaller wing lineups last year uh, with Kayvon Allen and, and Noah Locke. So I, and they did really well with it. So it seems to be uh, the front court is really what's going to set the tone defensively for this team. So uh, I, I do have like, you know, a little bit of concern with uh with Appleby on the floor as a kind of smaller player who wasn't always a great defender, but uh, that was also him not being a great defender at Cleveland state when he was like doing absolutely everything for them offensively. And I just don't think every player can give or any player can give hundred percent on both ends. So uh, in a different role with Florida, he could be better. Um, someone asked, uh, does, and I think he was serious, uh, which is, which is great. Uh, but he said, does Alex Klatsky contribute next year? Uh no. Um, but, but you know what, Eric, I still, I think like a year ago, someone asked if Alex Klatsky will contribute as a junior or a senior. And I think our answer was, um, yes. And I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, me too. Like next year, that's, uh, that's probably a little soon, but I, I would say down the line and, uh, especially like if he, for lack of a better term, wants to, like if he, uh, if he wants to get on the floor and keep working through these next couple of years, I, I do think he contributes, but I, I do not think next year is going to be that year. Um, and then the last one, uh, which this is, some, this is one I do know they, they sent this actually yesterday, uh, which was before the Scotty Lewis thing, which is like maybe insightful. Uh, they were also, their name was um, that 
blank Carinole Baskins. And their avatar was uh, <laughs> was the Seminole logo with the uh, the flower headband. So Carinole uh, Baskins um, <laughs> is, is the fact that Florida hasn't reached out to any grad transfers in the last couple of weeks an indication that everyone will be back. Oh man, that's a great uh, that's a great way to read the tea leaves. Um, you know, it might be. I, I again, uh, you know, FBH has been. Both Eric and I have been pretty consistent, and the other thing we try to do is when we know something or hear something, we we tell people, right, Eric? And and when we don't know anything, we don't open our mouths. <laughs> I don't know anything about Keontae Johnson. Like I just don't feel comfortable on the pod saying I I have any idea what is going on in his head. I do think Andrew Nimhart will be back in school unless unless you know something changes. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, like, again, I'm not – I don't want to get so speculative here, but, like, these last couple of years, Florida has reached out to tons of transfers, and later in off-seasons, players have left, and scholarships is, have opened up. And there were times where Florida was reaching out to tons of transfers when they had a technically full scholarship load that you were like, hey, I kind of wonder what's going to go on. And then guys end up leaving late in the summer, and then – uh, you end up getting, you know, like they got Daruji and they got Appleby and they got Jatobo and they got Quest Lover quite kind of late in the cycle. Uh, and it was because, yeah, they kind of stayed active. And uh, I do think it's pretty interesting that their behavior has very much changed this offseason and they have not been getting in touch with as many transfers. Like, like yeah, really, really early, uh, you know, they reached out to Marfo and Wilson, the two kind of big rebounders that were on the market. Um, but, uh, you know, like there's a couple of guys like, uh, like Matt Harms from Purdue. He's, you know, the seven foot three big man there. He's a, he's a grad transfer. He put out a list of like 40 schools that contacted him. Florida was not one of them. And, uh, that, that I thought was, uh, was pretty interesting. And then, uh, Colgate, uh, Rapolis Ivanowskis. I, I probably said that wrong. He's someone who yeah. was in the portal last year. Florida reached out to him last year. Uh, this year he's so last year he would have been a traditional transfer. Uh, this year he's a grad transfer. He's in the market, and Florida hasn't reached out to, at least uh, from the from the one guy I asked within the program, uh, the Colgate program, not the Florida program. Uh, and uh, there was a long list of schools that uh, that Ivanowski said that reached out to him, and Florida wasn't one of them. And uh, those are two really good big men uh, that are instantly eligible, and one of them is someone that Florida reached out to last year, and he ended up going back to Colgate, but. Uh, so I, I do think it's kind of interesting that if you look at last year's Florida was getting after a lot of, a lot of transfers and, uh, lo and behold, scholarships opened up this year, their behavior has changed. So, uh, while I don't want to speculate that that does mean that everyone else is going to be back, uh, I think it's fair to say, Hey, Florida's behavior in giving out, uh, giving out offers to these transfers has changed. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good point. So it's a pretty good point. Um, I would, you know, I don't know. I don't know when the next announcements will come, um, but but we'll be around when they do. Our next two shows, though, unless there's an announcement in between, will be uh, Eric and I breaking down the 2006 and 2007 national championship games. So that's going to be a lot of fun, Eric. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, what are we doing, Neil? Are we telling people, should, should they try to watch the game on YouTube before listening to our podcast? Should they listen to the podcast and, and then 
uh, I know we haven't recorded the podcast, but what yeah, do, you like, do we do? We tell people they should they should watch it on YouTube now, or should they wait? My recommendation is that you should watch it. Watch it on YouTube. Watch, you know, I know that they they've been re-airing these games on various channels. Like the national championship game from 07 was on CBS Sports Network in the states this weekend. Uh, so if you can catch it on one of those, catch it on one of those depending on who your service provider is. Uh, those of us with Sling, the CBS stuff is a little harder to access. But, um, you know, definitely make sure you get you get a viewing in of the game. Um, and that'll make the podcast a lot more enjoyable for you. The, you know, the other option is to listen to our show and then go and watch the game after and kind of put piece it together. But it's probably better to do it the where you watch it and then listen. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that podcast, Neil. It's uh, it's going to be good because I mean, uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk about this on the podcast. But uh, very nostalgic for yeah. me as like one of the first games that I like yeah. kind of consciously remember because it really was like 13 year old me watching basketball for like one of the first times and uh, yeah, getting to uh, getting to love the Gators kind of that that year and that season. So uh, and I know that everyone here is going to have some uh, some great memories. And uh, uh, I will say one one thing about the game obviously like watching um like there's obviously been so many classic games just put on by by cbs and espn and just march madness's youtube channel uh you know i've watched a lot of classic games like honestly a lot of these classic championship games like weren't really that good and the team they weren't really that fun to watch and and i know i'm biased but like I really think that it was a really well-played game. And like, uh, I just really think it's like a very enjoyable watch where some of these games that I know are like technically really, you know, big games between Duke and North Carolina and these classic games, but I watch them and I'm like, man, this is just kind of like chunky and, and hard to watch basketball uh, where, you know, watching these, uh, watching this championship game, uh, there's just actually some like genuinely really good basketball played. So uh, even beyond just the straight like Gator fandom, like it is just actually just such good basketball. So uh, yeah, people are going to, uh, you, you guys are going to really enjoy that watching that game again. If you, uh, if you haven't already watched it uh, uh, in your boredom. Yeah, no, and I, I'll tease one little thing before we, we sign off. You know, I did for Saturday down South, I got to talk to, uh, talk to Mike Conley jr. Um, and and it was a thrill, obviously, uh, but but he said uh, that they they got back to Columbus the next day, and he said they felt like I mean they got a, a hero's welcome at the airport and stuff. He said which was really cool, but he said they felt like they played really well in that 2007 game. He's like we shot. He didn't know the exact number, but he was like we didn't make anything from outside. Uh, he said a lot of that had to do with Corey Brewer, <laughs> but he said, you know, like they felt like they had a good plan. They executed the plan. They didn't commit a ton of turnovers. And he said, it just didn't really matter. And he's like, Florida had, he said his central breakdown was Florida had 20 fouls. Uh, and, and the 20 fouls were four pros and we had <laughs> Greg Oden, and we had Greg Oden. <laughs> and, oh, that's funny. He just said, you know, by like the late second half, he said Greg was gassed and like Greg was so tired and Joe Kim would go and sit down and Chris Richard would come in, right? And he's like, it's just demoralizing. So it was interesting. 
Oh yeah, I better stop here because I could just start talking about uh, start talking yeah. about both of those games now. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so needless to say, very very excited to uh, uh, to get awesome. into get into these two ones. It's going to be awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for the awesome listener questions. It's so cool that the listeners drive these shows. So uh, thank you. Everybody stay safe and uh, healthy. Bye-bye.